Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to the fourth episode of Series 3 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. The lens on HR continues to intensify. McKinsey talks about the G3, the group of three executives at the top of the company, the CEO, the CFO, and the CHRO. But how does a CHRO partner successfully with a CEO and the rest of the executive team? That's the topics for this week's episode, where my guest is Jewel Larson, Chief People Officer at Medidata, on how to transform HR to drive more business value. Jill has over 20 years experience in senior HR roles in companies like Cisco, EMC, and SunGuard. So she is ideally placed to talk about how the role of the CHRO has changed. In our conversation, Jill and I discuss the key responsibilities of the CHRO in our modern age and how these have evolved over the past years the digital transformation of HR, and how to bring the rest of the organization with you along the journey, the changing skills requirements for HR professionals. We also talk about how you can harness technologies to support this change and transformation. And like with all our guests, we look into the crystal ball and ponder what the role of HR will be in 2025. This episode is a must listen for anyone working in HR or business leaders who want more from their CHROs and people functions. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 3 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Support for this series is brought to you by Pymetrics. Pymetrics is a future of work platform using data-driven behavioral insights and audited artificial intelligence to help companies better understand their workforce, as well as make fairer and more predictive people decisions. Pymetrics serves as a matching layer in the job application process with the ability to assess candidate fit for any role within your company and the greater Pymetrics job marketplace through one single streamlined platform. The Pymetrics platform offers video interviewing and gamified assessments for collecting behavioral data like cognitive and emotional trait profiles as well as numerical and logical reasoning. Candidates are matched to roles based on how they fit each role's success profile which Pymetric builds off of top performers. To learn more, visit pymetrics.com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Jill Larson, Chief HR Officer at Medidata, to the Digital HR Leader podcast and video series. Jill, thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great in your, to be here. In New York, of I'm course. In, I know. I'm in my uh, home away from home. You haven't had to come too far. So. <laughs> no, Definitely. Can you give a quick quick introduction to yourself and your background and your vision for HR? Sure, sure. Um, so I have um, you know twenty plus years of experience uh, in HR. I started my career in, in recruiting as a recruiter. Uh, moved into TA leadership at startups during the dot com boom. Uh, went to SunGuard where I was running HR for a bunch of divisions. Uh, they went from public to private, so I got to go through that big LBO with KKR and all these PR, PE firms. Uh, I ran. I became the CHRO for RSA. Uh, we were bought almost immediately by EMC, uh, ended up staying there for five years. Uh, I moved from the CHRO of RSA to the COO of HR for EMC, uh, did a lot of data and operations and some of the transformation work there too. And then I moved to Cisco where I was the head of TA for five years, uh, completely transformed the recruiting organization. Um, I also had workforce planning, uh, D&I for a little while, um, and then I, I also ran um, HR for our consulting business, which was a $14 billion business with 13,000 people, and I'm now the Chief People Officer of Metadata. Okay. <laughs> wow. So 
and actually, it's a twenty-year career in HR. Mm-hmm. Um, you've probably seen quite a lot of change. How has how has HR evolved over that years, and also the role of the CHRO as well? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's really evolved. I think um, in the early parts of my career, I was a sole HR person in many of these startups, and you know, you just sort of were the chief cook and bottle washer. So you were doing recruiting, and then you were also dealing with boards and VCs and. Um, really arrogant um, executives and things like that, just trying to really stand up companies. Um, And then, you know, I think we've moved now from HR. My first set of transformation was really in um, SunGuard, where we had to take like 32 performance management systems and go to one. So when you have all these startups and entrepreneurial organizations, you put them together and you actually have to organize them. Um, That was sort of my first foray. And I think you're seeing a lot more now um, when I went to EMC and started doing some of the COO work, it was date early data, um, you know, even just rationalizing the data between HR and finance and whose headcount reports, which I unfortunately, you know, 15 years later, we're still arguing about is whose headcount number is correct. But uh, early days on predictive and then um, early days on employee experience, um, you know, at EMC and really starting to think about great place to work and what's the kind of culture you want to have. Uh, and then Cisco was uh, was a really massive transformation. And so what I'm seeing in the market now, especially a lot more around AI, machine learning, how do you start to leverage tools? Um, but unfortunately, I think a lot of the HR organizations really aren't ready for it. The yeah. IT organizations aren't. And so um, the role has really evolved um, to new operating models. Um, you know, I, st- I've, I just stood up an AI business for our company, um, you know, trying to look at totally different executive comp models retention is different. People care about social, you know, they care about community. Now they care about other things that didn't used to be an attraction element, um, for candidates. And so just the entire role has evolved, um, pretty significantly, uh, and some roles have gone away and then some are really, there's a number of roles that are emerging in HR as well. Yeah. Like people analytics, right. employee experience, Absolutely. you know, all those sort of stuff yeah. we talked about. Um, and in terms of, it seems, you know, certainly the time I spent in HR that, it's become more important to an organization as well, which I guess then yeah. if you're running HR, suddenly the visibility and, right. and the lens intensifies on, on the work you're doing as well. Yeah, I just saw a, um, a statistic that 65% of CEOs say that people issues are like the number one or number two things that, that they think about. So even above revenues and customers and the things that CEOs normally do, um, I think talent has really taken a, a top role. Um, so I think for CEOs, um, especially, you know, and, and for the HR, sort of the organization as a whole, um, we just have a huge opportunity here to really elevate ourselves and to be strategic. Um, I think what's challenging in that is that um, many HR organizations don't understand why they should do that, yeah. um, maybe don't have the business acumen to do that, uh, maybe don't have the stakeholders that want them to do that. And so, you know, rebranding uh, the function itself, I think, is a critical part of what we need to be doing now if we really want to be relevant in sort of this whole digital industrial transformation, this whole transformation that's going on right now. Um, it's moving very quickly and the, and the function really isn't. Yeah. And it's interesting because we hear a lot of stuff about HR getting a seat at the table. Oh, yeah. A bit of a trite statement, mm-hmm, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, McKinsey talk about the G3, the CHRO or Chief People Officer, yeah, the Chief CFO. Finance, mm-hmm. CFO and the CEO. That's right. How does that relationship actually work? Well, you know, what what <laughs> what does the board expect from the CHRO? Sure. How do you partner with the various members of that board? Definitely. I mean, so at Metadata, um, you know, we're a twenty five hundred person company. We are a co founder led, so I have a CEO and a president who are best friends and share an office. So you know, for those that are in these, there's actually a lot of these types of situations and. 
Um, so it's really the four of us, my CFO and then myself. Yeah. And, um, you know, our, um, our dynamic is we talk a lot about the operating model of the business. Uh, we talk about how we're going to grow and scale the business. Um, you know, we talk a lot about obviously the people issues of the business, um, and then really much more strategically around, you know, are there acquisitions we want to do? Um, are we doing well with the ones that we've done? Um, very data oriented conversations. So they're yeah. people, but they're grounded in data, um, which I would say is probably a change for many um, CHROs, especially is that it's expected that the CFO isn't the only one coming with data, yeah. but that you are also coming um, and leveraging that to have a, a much more strategic conversation. Um, but I think from a board perspective, you know, the boards are really looking for a little bit of checks and balances as to, you know, they're very interested in the people elements. So, um, at metadata, I present, uh, to the board every quarter. Um, I have a number of different presentations that I do. Um, you know, most of them are around, you know, what's going well with our people strategy. Um, we do succession and talent, um, uh, once or twice a year. Uh, and then also what we're doing with CSR, which has really elevated. So once a year we do a CSR and DNI. Um, we call it inclusion and belonging um, at metadata. Um, so we do that as well with the board. Um, but they're expecting um, a real understanding of executive compensation. How competitive are we to our peer group? Um, they expect me to be able to understand our peer group and challenge that with our external compensation consultants. Um, you know, there's governance requirements. Um, I have to be the eyes and ears, as does the CFO, um, a yeah. little bit of checks and balances with the CEO. So, you know, I think the whole concept of seat at the table, it's a little bit different depending on which organization you are. Um, but I always, you know, kind of the expect a seat at the table. I just sit at the table. I don't, you know, I think there's just this thing now where um, we just need to assume that we have relevance and importance and stop trying to prove that we do. Um, because it's just, um, you, you can't run these businesses if you don't have a great talent strategy. So, I mean, no. to me, it just seems like we don't need to be talking about that anymore. It's no. kind of like inclusion and diversity. I don't think we need to keep talking about all the companies that are more profitable because they are. Now it's just, what are you doing to do it differently? Yeah. So th that's kind of the way I think it's evolved. I suppose it's a, it's a bit of a courage thing, isn't it? Because, <laughs> you know, HR maybe for too long has been a receiver of mm -hmm. instructions, whereas now you can actually help inform strategy, make the decisions about you know, help make decisions around mergers and acquisitions, mm -hmm. help make decisions about where you might want to locate because you've got the talent data to actually show, you know, which city should we be hiring these sorts of people. Right, right. And I think that's the other thing is that there's just so much information available now. So I can look at available talent pools if we're thinking about opening an office in Tokyo. And I can say things like, well, in Japan, you know, it's tenure for life. So do you know that you have a total addressable market in Japan that's going to grow so that if you hire 100 people there, you know that you really can't unless you shut the office down. It's yeah. very difficult to restructure that. So you have to be really thoughtful in that country. You know, Germany, France, you know, works councils. There are some places. So we have all that data now. Um, we didn't used to have that data. Uh, I still think that um, it really depends on the organizations. Some CEOs really want to leverage that. Um, others don't. You know, some CEOs don't want their boards knowing much, and that always puts the CHRO in a challenging position. So I think the thing that's interesting now is that um, HR practitioners are really going to have, I think, more choice. They're going to know how to be more selective about the types of companies that really are people-centric and where they can learn um, versus the companies that are a little, you know, sort of um, retro and, and not really evolving. And yeah. is that really going to work well for your career? Okay. So we're nearly into 2020, mm -hmm. only a few months away. <laughs> it's a little it's terrifying. A bit, a bit terrifying. Um, so we talked a little bit about it, but you know, if you look at the key responsibilities, what are the key responsibilities now of a chief people officer for the, the 2020 
to 21st century or more 2020 and beyond really <laughs> sure i mean i think um it's a balance of um you know obviously the talent strategy is um significant um the partnership with the leadership team is is um really critical if you're going to be successful um being able to um think about um succession planning thoughtfully um how you're motivating and growing your talent as part of that talent strategy um your inclusion and diversity um sort of and csr so really what are you doing um, both to Im- improve the representation in your company, grow it, um, but also actually think about giving back. Um, and, and customers are asking for that now, so that's critical for many. Um, and there's a lot around, you know, kind of the less sexy parts of this role, which are, you know, the compliance and yeah. um, the risk and, you know, cybersecurity and um, and those sorts of things, making sure that um, you really are doing the right things to protect the company. Um, so I think those elements are important. Um, and then obviously from a, you know, I talked about talent strategy, but talent attraction and sort of that experience and culture of the company um, is becoming more and more important. Uh, and a lot of it is driven by the employees and the different, you know, demographics that we have now, so many generations in the workforce. Um, and I know that's always been the case, but I think there's such um, diversity now between these generations um, that technology has really created that, um, it, it makes it a little more challenging for a CHRO and how do you really effectively communicate uh, and connect the CEO and the board sort of to the, to the company, uh, to the employees, because they all you know, sort of think about things a different way and they all use different um, communication channels. And I guess employees are more demanding now. They, <laughs> they want the consumer-like experiences mm-hmm. at work. You know, and obviously that normally falls on HR to create those experiences yeah. working with the business and then tying that, I guess, to actually business outcomes. Right. Well. Right. I mean, this whole concept of on demand and, you know, you have your you have your mobile device and you, you know, you press the app and something shows up, you know, whether it's your groceries or car or whatever. And um, then you go into work and you can't find there's no apps and you, you know, you're trying to navigate PCs and things that are just feel really antiquated. Um, it puts a lot of pressure on um, both IT organizations and HR organizations because um, we're always sort of the last place that the money gets spent. And yeah. so I, I do think um, to your earlier question around sort of what's the future looking like, um, I do think there'll be a lot more investment uh, in the function of HR because it's now expanded into so many places like data science and um, the whole experience and culture and uh, brand and, you know, all these other elements. And so um, I think that um, that that's going to allow us to have a lot more impact and potentially a little more investment. Um, But that's the biggest challenge is that to digitize um, HR, you're really just trying to catch up. Yeah. And I suppose that may be a a good uh, measure of an effective chief people officer Mm -hmm. or CHRO. Are they the ones getting investment versus right. some of their peers? Exactly, exactly. And I think, um, you know, a lot of that will also indicate whether the company really is uh, more forward thinking. You know, a lot of companies say they want to digitize or, you know, we're not a hardware company anymore. Or we're now a SaaS company, but they, they aren't really subscription at all. You know, so yeah, yeah. there are ways to look at that. But I think that's really a good measure is, you know, sort of what's the impact um, both in investment and the power of that investment. Because um, I know a lot of great CHROs that don't have very large budgets, but they do a lot through, you know, influence and partnerships and um, pretty creative ways, uh, tin cupping, as we like to call it, um, to get some executive sponsors and things. So um, some of the more creative CHROs um, have had a massive impact, and that would be a way to measure it. Yeah. So talked a little bit about the relationship with the board and, and mm-hmm. the people, run, well, the leaders running the business, and HR leaders and business leaders as well, of course. But what about the rest of the organization? How do you bring the rest of the organization with you? Sometimes HR with you as well, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and 
does the business even want HR to, oh, to change? Well. <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, for the employees, I, I do think it's about communicating as, as frequently as possible. Um, we do a lot around brand. Um, so the strategy that we have at Metadata has sort of five pillars, uh, and we have little icons for each one. And so whenever we do something, um, we try to be very thoughtful about which communication channel so we don't just shooting emails because everybody, especially when they see it's from HR, they don't always read it. Uh, and so, you know, we think about can we use Slack? Can we use, you know, our intranet? Are there other ways that we can do this? And then branding, so and then tying it all back. So I present at every one of our town halls. Um, I blog a lot. I do podcasts a lot um, within our company. Um, I'm out in the field a lot. Um, and so I think for employees, it's making yourself really accessible yeah. um, so that people feel that they can come and approach you. Um, you know, we did have uh, yesterday, we were actually, there was an announcement that we, um, there's an intent to acquire us. Uh, and uh, we, I just hosted um, pizza parties all over the globe and, and had executives, you know, last minute um, yeah. had executives and we just answered questions and it really went a long way. Um, to for people to just come out and talk and kind of share their angst and some of the things that was going on. And so um, I think by doing that and being honest that I don't have all the answers yet, we're really working through it. We know this is top concern. Uh, we just wanted them to know that we, we we care for them and wanted them to know that we knew they were, you know, they, they would be curious, but also cautious. Uh, and so I thought that went a long way. So those are kind of examples yeah. of how you kind of bring those um, bring those employees along. Um, but there's a lot of pressure in the system now to do that. There's a lot of tools to do it, too. Um, but you really have to understand your audiences and sort of how do they like to communicate and you have to understand how well-regarded HR is. And so um, there are there are a lot of leaders that really understand the relevance of it and there are a lot of leaders that um, like to delegate their work to HR. So, you know, the talent stuff is you and, you know, this issue with recruiting is you and, you know, and so there's a lot of um, accountability and, and teaching accountability at the leadership level that um, sometimes you have to navigate uh, depending mm. on what type of organization you you know you really want to have. Um, but I'd say overall, um, you know, there'll always be the skeptics on HR. Uh, we rebranded HR as the people team at Metadata because we're a twenty-year company, twenty-year-old company, and um, HR was always the policy police. They were the ones, the gatekeepers, the yeah. ones aligned with leaders who fire everybody. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things. And so we've really turned it around uh, in the last year and a half and changed how we engaged and went to self-service for a lot of leaders to be able to do things themselves. And, you know, it took a little while because as much as they say they want to do things themselves, they really would rather us just all do it for of them. Course. So so that's there's that journey too where it's a little bit of teaching leaders. Um, we forget a lot of times that leaders come from the same demographics as our employees. And so a lot of leaders don't understand some of the cultural things that are happening or the, the cool things that are happening with some of their populations. So it's hard for them to connect on Slack or you know, they wear suits and everybody else wears jeans. You know, you just see a lot of those kind of dynamics in different companies. Well, I suppose, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of people in HR don't understand things like people That's, people analytics mm -hmm. or employee experience. So how can we expect the business to understand That's it right. if we're not communicating well enough? So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think there's a lot. And obviously, you know, this is um, one example of, you know, just trying to do sort of digital learning, um, new types of capability building for the new roles in HR. Um, I think it's fine if HR practitioners don't know. I, you know, I do this all the time when I, I mean, you've seen some of my, I've seen yours um, on AI. You know, I always define what AI is because I know there's one person in that audience who came just to see what it was all about. And, you know, they'll never raise their hand that they don't know what it is. But um, I think we should always assume that there's a lot of varied um, sort of capability in the audience. And um, I do think in this um, field of HR, if you're going to be relevant in the future, 
um, and, and have fun doing some of the really cool work. Um, cause I think HR is really in this awesome intersection right now with yeah. the function. Um, but you've got to be learning, you've got to be reading. There's so much information out there. Um, you just got to carve out some time to do it, uh, and, and really just be kind of connecting, going to those conferences or, you know, the reading the books, following people, you know, um, I follow you and it's fun to see some of the different, you know, and, um, diff- and I get connected to lots of other people by doing those types of things. And so I just think people have to be brave to kind of put themselves like curiosity, there. isn't it? You know, yeah, just, you have to have curiosity if you're going to be in this function because, um, there is so much happening that's going to change the way we think about people, um, the way companies can actually accelerate and generate revenues. Uh, and it'll be a lot harder to keep people, um, because it won't, it'll no longer be that you have to stay at a company. It already has, has changed. You don't have to be at a company for three to five years. And so, um, how do you really connect? And so I think the great HR practitioners are going to be the ones that figure out ways that really make the company sticky so that, um, employees want to stay because that's their best population to work with. They'll recruit better, you know, the same, you know, same exciting people that yeah. want to be part of the culture. So we talked about curiosity as a skill that we really need to try and imbue within all our HR professionals. Yeah. Um, what are some of the other skills and capabilities that the chief people officer is now looking for more of in HR? Mm-hmm. And you can go across hard and soft skills. There. Sure. Um, I think for, um, for myself, it's a blend of um, having folks that are strategic and really understand business consulting. Um, it is a, uh, a lost art of being able to consult and actually influence and, yeah. um, and do change management. Um, there's also some element of negotiation and conflict management um, because, you know, HR and the role um, requires that there are some checks and balances. And so you do have to say no sometimes cool. to executives who yeah. really don't expect you to say no. And Ooh. so the ability to do that, I think, is critical. Um, I think analytics and storytelling around data is critically important. So as you're looking at things, what it, what is it telling you? What trends is it telling you? Um, I would take the curiosity even more on how do I connect the dots around disparate parts of yeah. sort of the portfolio of HR and this data in HR, you know, so where am I, who are the people that are most likely to leave my company? How do I know that? Are there certain leaders that have higher turnover rates? Why is that? Is that a, is that a leadership intervention issue? Um, is it a is it a recruiter issue? What are the what are the things? Um, and really just taking a look at sort of um, having some baseline uh, metrics in your in your business, thinking about that. Uh, and so I think for um, for HR, there are a lot of specialty roles. I still think that um, you know compensation is going to be an area of specialization. Uh, you know, benefits maybe more in the international realm than I'd say in the U.S., um, but sort of wellness and some of the places we're going there. Yeah. Um, CSR has become a real specialization. There's a lot of um, possible strategic elements of that for um, for the HR function. Uh, recruiting, I think, is really interesting and is changing a lot um, because you've got all these sourcing tools now out there. I think the, the sourcing role um, is probably really going to go away and be automated in a lot of ways. Um you know, that's going to take a little bit longer with language processing and things, but I think it's going to happen. Uh, and then I think the role of the recruiter really is going to be, you know, it doesn't matter if these um, tools can find you. If you get inundated with five emails, you're not going to care. If you don't answer emails, you you know, you still need a human to find you yeah. and then get you to come in the door or, you know, show up for the virtual meeting or whatever it is. So, so I think every part of the HR function is evolving. And so for me, I really look for a blend of I need a couple people on the team that can go from strategic to tactical. So um, that is a really, really tough skill to find, uh, especially in business partners. Um, I need folks that are phenomenal at team building. 
and nurturing. I've got a couple of those on my team. You know, I'm, uh, you know, knowing who you are as a CHRO and then complimenting yourself with people that are stronger than you in areas that are just not your natural yep. tendency. Yep. Uh, and so I think every CHRO has a little bit of a different flavor on that. Uh, and then I think sort of visualization and the brand element, like people who can really help us think about how do we use media and um, the employee stories to um, to really think about our thought leadership. So so kind of a blend of those skills. Um, you know, learning is a really interesting area for us. Lots of digital learning, thinking differently about um, how much, you know, people don't want to sit now and go for two days someplace. They want to be able to do it on their own time. They want to do it on demand. A lot of your traditional learning um, management folks uh, don't know how to do that. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is org design and operating models. Um, a lot of companies are moving towards, you know, as a service, managed service, consulting-led subscription. They're very complicated models that have a lot of um, implications to them. And there aren't a lot of great practitioners out there who really understand the nuance of that. How do you design new organizations? Yeah. And then how do you effectively do the change management of actually organ reorganizing? Uh, you lose a lot of people that way if you don't do it thoughtfully. And um, the pace of change is going to require, I mean, pretty much any company, if you talk to, I talked to lots of CHROs, we're all dealing with this where we're reorganizing, we're upskilling, we're reskilling leaders, we're trans, you know, we're all transforming, we're all digitizing, you know, so, so the, the skills are really changing. Um, and the HR technology realm, I think there's a real opportunity for specialization there yeah. uh, for folks that really understand APIs and have multiple HRISs and ATS experience and can really think through how do we how do we look at that ecosystem? How do we partner with our IT organizations and the CIO? Um, CIOs uh, have a lot of power now in many organizations to make decisions around HR technology. So partnering and collaborating is critically important. Um, so that's just in, I'm sure there's many more, but those yeah. are like big, big elements for, for how I think about my team. And it's what's interesting is a lot of what you've talked about there is it's taking away, as obviously as technology comes in and takes away more some of the more repetitive work within HR, it sends like consulting, influencing, stakeholder management, all these things are becoming ever more important, mm -hmm. um, which is quite different perhaps from traditional HR roles, which have been quite silo-based. You know, I'm an expert on recruiting, I'm an expert on learning. Right. You still need an element of mm -hmm. that subject matter expertise, yes. but it looks like it's more broader now, right. that consulting, piecing some of this stuff together. Yeah, I really believe strongly that there, there are these hybrid roles that are emerging in HR, and you always had heard that term of like HR generalists, but um, I don't like that term. But I do think that there are hybrid roles like talent advisor, yeah. um, people consultant, kind of replacing those HR business partner. Like, what does that mean? It just doesn't make any sense. It's a term we use, and it really makes absolutely no sense. Uh, and so I just think that um, you're going to see a lot of change there. I think that the groups that are most at risk right now are the ones that are in the entry jobs, like the co recruiting coordinator, the schedulers, the benefits administrators. A lot of those roles have been virtualized or outsourced. Um, and so the entry points to HR are actually changing. Mm. Uh, and it's kind of unclear. This is something I've been doing a little bit of thought leadership and writing on is just sort of what are these entry points now? And do we need to be thinking about different ways to be grooming these sort of um, you know folks of the future uh, for HR? Because um, the, all the entry points I can think of that you recruiter, coordinator to recruiter, or source at a recruiter, um, those aren't going to exist anymore. Mm. And so um, are they coming in from the business? Are they coming in through brand and marketing? You know, so really thinking through, or do we have to build it? Um, you know, do we have to build more entry points, more HR programs within the schools that, uh, you know, really are, are talking about looking at those things we just talked about? Now, when we spoke last week, mm -hmm. I think you, you walked through a couple of examples, some of the projects that you've been involved oh, in. Yeah. And I think what it, that really did is it illustrate how HR is changing mm -hmm. and the depth and the, 
the breadth of what, what we're getting involved in mm -hmm. now. Can you walk through a couple of those examples sure. um, from last week? Because sure. I think listeners will be really interested. Oh, no, definitely. Um, so one of the things uh, that – one of the missed opportunities I think many HR uh, organizations have is around um, CSR. And many of your customers are grappling with lots of different things. They're grappling with diversity issues. Um, they're grappling with talent issues. They're mm -hmm. thinking about how to how to move their talent. You know how to know who the talent is. How to deal with you know analytics. Um, I think CSR is a, a really easy connector that has nothing to do with we want you to be my customer or that sort of thing. I think it's a really nice connection point. Um, for HR organizations. Um, we are very mission-based at Metadata. So as a company, uh, we focus on uh, clinical trials and we really focus on the, the whole patient life cycle and um, how do we get you know sort of drugs to market faster so that we can create healthier lives for people. So th it, the mission of that is so connecting for our employees. Um, so we do a lot of storytelling around that and, you know, folks that had cancer, employees that have cancer and things and what that's been like uh, in the trials that they've been in. And um, we actually created a talent management program called the Social Innovation Lab. And what it does is it's a, it allows high potential or key talent within our company. We do these cohorts of 10 people and they actually work on a social problem having to do with our mission. So last year, the problem that they really focused on was drug repurposing. Um, so in clinical trials, it takes seven to 10 years to get a drug to market. And yep. when a drug gets to market, only about 10% of them are effective. But they actually are drugs that could be effective for other types of things. So a heart disease drug could actually help with you know, chronic pancreatitis, for example, because those populations have some similar types of side effects and symptoms. And so in Europe, you can do this a little bit more easily um, than the regulatory environment in the U.S. And so we actually partnered with Cures for uh, Cures Within Reach and focused on uh, drug repurposing around um, chronic pancreatitis uh, and actually did all the work, did the business case, did the plan. Uh, we had a couple different cohorts doing that and actually just went in front of the National Institute of Health. And I think we're actually going to um, be able to do something around drug repurposing for chronic pancreatitis in the UK. And so um, we have three more now going on uh, with a number of different organizations around chronic pancreatitis, around um, diversity in uh, clinical trials, which yeah. is a huge issue. Um, and then uh, I think the third one is really around how do you get um, more folks connected to clinical trials. We're actually building, using our software to build a platform for uh, the University of Pennsylvania. And so I've got different key talent working on those and a number of the people that participated actually have been promoted in the last 12 to 18 months. So while that may or may not be the data guy, it may or may not be a real trend, what it tells me um, is that it's a phenomenal program. Mm. Um, it connects uh, you know, with our mission. It teaches a lot of different things to our employees, um, and it has a wonderful benefit for our patients. And so it's just one example. Um, you know, at Cisco, we did the, this work around the talent cloud that many, many companies are still trying to address which is sort of how do you find the skills and talents of your internal employee population to create gig economies, to get a lot more flexible so people can actually do more um, sort of on-demand working, if you will. Uh, it's still a challenge um, for many companies, but you know, leveraging technology and data and learning uh, to be able to help people navigate their own career. Um, that's That's been a, a labor of love for me and something that I still feel strongly passionate about is we tend to do a great job bringing people into the company. And then once they get there, we just we just let them sit there. We just yeah. think they should be navigating their own career and we don't make it very easy for them to do it. So. And I guess that's that trade-off for mm -hmm. you know, data for benefit. That's right. Which I know was one of the purposes of the talent cloud. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
um, and letting people just um, connect, you know, so connecting to experts. If I want to be a data scientist, who are the data scientists mm. in the company? Um, just making it easier for people to just actually build their own communities um, because I think it creates a lot of collaboration and teaming, especially within larger companies. Yeah, so those are just two examples. Yeah, great example. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I know you're passionate about HR technologies, and I know you've been involved actually in helping a couple of startups actually mm -hmm. by being an advisor. Yeah. Um, what excites you most about some of this technology that's coming in? Oh yeah, I think um, I think there's a lot of areas in HR that are ripe for um, simplifying and automating and you know digitizing really horrible processes and such. And so um, I get excited about things. Um, so one of the groups that I'm working with is a company called Envoy, and they've really helped digitize immigration. So you know there's a lot of angst, especially now in the U.S., uh, around you know visa processing and all that. Um, so they actually, um, we just sort of outsource through their portal kind of everything having to do with that. They've got a law firm. They, you know, it's very... Um, employee conscious and it actually mm. takes a lot of the administration off of my team because there's so much around posting and doing all the you know kind of requirements um, for the process and so um, so that's one example of a place that's just really easy it's an adjacency it doesn't really take a job away per se it just simplifies so I can yeah. use people differently um you know I think uh, a lot around um, you know employee sentiment um, employer relations is one that you know kind of some of that first tier stuff um, some of the things around benefits administration you know where can I find those things so using chatbots and um, different types of tools there. Um, I think what starts to get really interesting around sentiment is how you can start to tie sentiment um, to other parts, you know, things like, um, you know, efficiencies and productivities and teams that are failing and leaders that are um, probably need some intervention and that sort of thing. And uh, I would say the other place we're looking um, is actually in one of the the people I think you're going to have in the podcasts um, is really around something like Pymetrics, where you're looking at personas like a sales, um, a sales account manager, for example, yeah. how am I thinking about the most successful folks in our company around that? And then am I really screening for that at the front end? And what type of behavioral things could I think about to make yeah. sure that someone really, you know, salespeople are really good at selling recruiters and selling leaders. So how do I know that they're really successful and are there better ways for us to, to get better outcomes, um, with those hires? Um, so those are just like a couple places. I mean, the, the whole TA space is really exciting right now. Learning is really cool. There's some really awesome stuff out there right now with digital learning and, um, and, and tying that with collaboration and building these cohorts, which I think for um, the HR community especially, um, it really makes it easier and safer for HR practitioners to say they don't know certain things and yeah. to be able to find answers or have you built this type of program before and, and people are willing to share, whereas in the past people have been really crazy about that. And, and you know, I think we feel like a lot is in the public domain now. So, you know, I, I talk about my people strategy a lot for metadata and people are always like taking pictures. Don't you care that people are taking your people strategy? I'm like, no, my people strategy is, I mean, it's not, there's nothing special. I don't, I mean, I think it's special, but you know, there's yeah. nothing that I think is proprietary about it. It's more the how we do it and how we mm. execute it. Um, but I just, it's just, I think there's more willingness to share and lots of cool tools to do that. Yeah, certainly in the space uh, that I'm in, people yeah. analytics, you know, people actively want to collaborate. Definitely. You know, they, they definitely want to learn from each other because it's a quid pro quo quite type thing. Mm -hmm. And interesting you talk about learning, because obviously learning really is shifting, Absolutely. you know, this kind of one size fits all, everyone's mm -hmm. got to be in the classroom on this time. And you've seen it, people now all the, a lot of stuff around micro learning mm -hmm. and 
different formats in which we can learn as well. I mean, yeah. are you seeing some of that in, in Metadata? And I am. Previously? I am. I actually went to a, um, uh, it's called Peer 150, uh, just this organization, and I went to NBC, and I saw how NBC does their learning, and it's really cool. And there's lots of, like, fun toys and silly things, but there are these um, snapshots that they do. And because they're a media company, um, you know, so you can, you want to give feedback, you can learn how to give feedback in, like, a two-minute you know, sort of soundbite. And I know all the, like the practitioners who teach this for a living for a lot of money will be like, you can't learn it in two minutes. But the reality is, is that these, um, these generations that are coming, you know, I have 15 year old twin boys. Um, they don't want me to teach them anything. They don't, you know, they can learn music online. They can learn how to fix a car and YouTube video. I mean, it's crazy. And so that's the, that's the, um, sort of framework and the paradigm they're really used to. Mm. And so we have to start building learning that way because, that's how they learn. Yeah. They're not going to want to sit in a classroom. They're not going to sit for you know two days and do that. Um, you know, so I, I think those things are um, are going to be demanded by employees that you know they want that balance and they want to learn when they're ready to learn and in these small kind of sound bites. And so um, it's really changing the way we think about learning. I think it's a really exciting time. Well, you just inspired me because I'm going to spend 15 <laughs> minutes a day now. Getting my French better. There you go. I think it's a great idea. I may have to do that too since the company buying us is is from France. (laughs) So, yes. (laughs) Any concerns around uh, some of the direction around HR technology at all? You know, I still think, um, and this is something you could probe a little bit um, with uh, with Frida from Pymetrics, but I, I still think um, there's a lot of opportunity for bias in AI. I still think um, some of the people that don't understand um, how to actually build and think about machine learning, um, maybe building things in or, or making assumptions about data telling you something that isn't really a trend. And if you build your entire model around that, there's tons of examples of recent, mm. you know, just... Um, sort of, you know, robots and questions that had to be shut down because it didn't know how to handle certain things. And um, I think we're still in that learning place. And so I'm a skeptic. And I know, um, you know, I talked to a lot of the AI, um, you know, the AI tools, especially the small HR technology vendors who are, you know, it's hard, it's hard to be scrappy and get revenues, and they all want to talk, you know, I'm a buyer. So um, and I just say to them a lot, like, I really question, you know, the algorithms that you're using and how you built them. And, you know, if my company, you know, I think we're, you know, metadata is probably, 60 something percent, you know, um, male, or, you know, maybe it's a little bit lower than that. But, uh, you know, if you're basing your decision making around that type of demographic, and if, you know, three out of four leaders are male, am I really asking questions that are not going to discriminate against, you know, women or minorities, or we really have to be looking at that. And I know that's something Frida especially is passionate about, but a lot of folks in this AI space, I mean, you guys deal with it all the time, yeah. are very concerned about it. Um, but you have to be careful about it. Um, Cause I've had a lot of vendors come up to me and say, Oh no, I've got a tool that can knock people out who are not good for your culture. And I, I, I when I, I get crazy when I hear that, because I think it's really impossible for a company to say you have one culture. Like I can, I mean, we're 2,500 people. We're not that big, but I could tell you, we probably have six or seven, if not more different cultures in our company. We have values that are very, you know, similar. Um, and our mission is, is, you know, sort of the, the North star for us. But, um, I get nervous about that because I sit there and I think, well, what did you knock out? And I'll never see that. So I know recruiters can't get to all the slate, but I'm not sure that's totally the best answer either, unless you can really prove to me your algorithm understands what our culture is. And I, I can't even, if I can't even totally define how I would screen for that, 
I wonder how an algorithm could do it. So I just, I have concerns about that. And I think that it's safe to be um, both curious and um, skeptical uh, because you could make decisions and put something in that actually doesn't tell you what you think it tells you. And there are some, a lot of examples of that. And then there's a lot of examples of amazing tools that are like massively effective and innovative. So you just really have to understand it. You have to talk to people who know it and, um, and just make sure that you're really a thoughtful buyer. I suppose, as you said, it's, it's around checks and balances, you know, testing, mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, validating, mm-hmm. um, and you know, maybe using this as not the, the whole answer, but in concert right. with people, right. you know, using the data and the algorithm and actually supporting that with people as well. So, but yeah, I think you're right. It's that there, you know, there are, there are some interesting claims. Yeah. Well, it's interesting made. what that just made me think of though, when you say, you know, validating, that's really not a core skill set of the HR organization. No. It's um, going outside of HR. We always think in HR that we know everything that all the employees want. So things like bringing in other organizations and um, doing, you know, sort of cross-functional pilots and sandboxes is just not a real natural no. um, way of thinking. Um, and, and that's been something we're really working on breaking even in my team is, you know, we, we did this whole onboarding thing and, uh, you know, they didn't ask any of the, um, the teams, the leaders to come into the session and we're sort of in the session saying, well, this is great about how HR thinks we should do onboarding, but isn't it the leaders that actually receive all these employees and the impact of the onboarding? And I mean, just the look in the room, you know, it just never occurred to them. And I just assumed they were doing it. So I think those are the learnings is that it's just HR has to kind of look up and, and ask different groups and really be willing to listen to the feedback because there will be um, teams that think we don't do things well. Yeah. And we have to be open to that because we probably don't do everything well. It's impossible to do everything well. So, But if we're open to it and we can learn and we can partner together, we're actually be more effective in those things. But I just you just that just struck a chord when you said that because I'm like well where are they teaching that in the HR function yeah yeah and it's, it's yet another <laughs> you know, new skill. an AI you know if you have a data science team or something maybe an analytics team but and I suppose I suppose the other balance with AI is you know there's bias already in the process and mm-hmm. it's it's maybe manual as long as as long as the AI is isn't worsening that which it shouldn't do it right. should at least reduce the bias but again it's all about the validation and, and, and everything else yeah and I just you just can't start with the tool I think a lot of mistakes that HR practitioners make is I'm going to buy this tool and this tool is going to fix all these things and really what it is is what what business objections are you trying to drive and then how what processes you know how do you look at the entire workflow of that um, the stakeholders in that the journey maps in that and then is there a tool or augmentation that will make this um, a much better outcome but you have to do that kind of business case work and the design thinking and stuff at the front end um, because if you don't you're going to buy a tool and you're still going to have you're going to have other problems you're just you'll, you'll solve one or maybe not even but um but tools in and of itself um are not you know the solution no. to sort of hr strategy so no you yeah. mindset process strategy everything yes. else that goes with it absolutely people, people. so uh, <laughs> which leads us on to the final question oh, great. this is okay. a question we ask everyone on the show mm-hmm. um and it's and you can take this wherever you want to take it where do you think the hr function will be in 2025 Oh gosh, I um, I'm not sure that the HR function will just be one thing. Um, I had a really interesting conversation with somebody yesterday uh, about myself, and they said, you know, you don't really fit a mold. And um, I thought about what they said because you know I do M and A, and I've done operating models and all these different things, technology and analytics, and um, you know, people and talent recruiting and. And it's interesting because I think that the um, function itself is probably going to bifurcate a little bit. Uh, I think the whole employee experience and brand piece may uh, land with marketing or marketing may even come parts of marketing as it has in many organizations may come more towards HR. 
Um, I think the whole CSR element in some places is outside of HR. That might come to HR. But I think things like data analytics, um, AI, may sit in other parts of the organization. And uh, I was at an interesting um, Boston CHRO event last week. We had a little board session about this, and we talked about companies. And there were some CHROs there that said that they are working with their finance team, they are working with their data science teams, and they ha- they pay for them to focus on some of the HR elements. So so they chose not to be experts because every time they showed up at the table and said they were experts, the conversation was everybody trying to you know, trying to dissect the data and they could never get to the credible conversation. Yeah. And so I just say that because I think that's, I don't think this, the CHRO or the HR function is going to look exactly the same. I think there'll be digital components. Um, the technology may sit with the CIO and not with the head of HR. Um, that still remains to be seen. Um, but I, I think, um, I think there's a lot of places where HR is starting to move upstream. Uh, and move into other types of roles like the COO and um, those kind of things, and vice versa. You know, um, you've seen companies put business leaders that have no HR experience into the the people piece because they yep. want more ties to business outcomes. Um, so I think a lot of that's evolving, but I actually think the function is going to get really interesting with new jobs and um, really new opportunities for folks. And uh, and so I think it's a really exciting time to be in HR. Yeah, certainly <laughs> exciting time. Jill, thank you very oh, much for being a guest so on the show. How can listeners stay in touch with you? Oh yeah, so I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at uh, at Chic Talent Diva, which is just really meant to be ironic <laughs> for anyone who knows me. I'm none of those things. Uh, and uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, so those are probably the two best ways to get in touch with and me. And people can see you. At, you, you speak at quite a few I speak a lot. Well. Um, I'm, I'm going to be on some panels at HR Tech in October, um, and I've done Unleashed. And, you know, so uh, I'll probably do Talent Connect this year too and um, work human. So I, I'm doing a lot of them. I, um, I love to do them because I learn a lot too. And um, that's what I would just say. People should be constant learners. You just have to really – it's an exciting time. So even even us in the CHRO jobs know that we, we don't know all of it. So. Lifelong learning. What a good way to end it. Definitely. Jill, thank you very much. Thanks so much, David. Thank you. (laughs) That's all for this week. But please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to one of the world's leading authorities on HR tech, Jason Corsello, founder and CEO at the Acadian Company, on the shift from HR tech to work tech. Don't miss that one. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on iTunes and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make this podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest news and exclusive training content to prepare you for the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter there too.